Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambodasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambodasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambodasa in the last Dhamma talk, we were discussing about four types of yogis <coughs> with regard to parami. We are discussing more details, which is one who has a great difficulty and pains and suffering in this while he meditate and also the progress is very slow or hardly any and related to that we discuss in quite detail about dukkha vedana okay suffering while meditating pain aches numbness, tingling, and so on. And we define how it is, what it is, what to do, how to observe, and how to overcome. And here the key point is, even though one doesn't have parami in the past, related to samatha meditation or vipassana meditation, if one is persistent in this very life, okay, without losing any sada, without giving up with full perseverance, if you keep on practicing, then one can first and foremost start developing or accumulating the parami. Okay. This is the first time you start accumulating the parami. And with persistence, you can even see okay, some lights or some nature of dharma. But one has to have a very strong determination and perseverance and with great patience, one has to practice. And the second type is one who has great difficulty while practicing with regard to pain and suffering. But even though he has these kind of difficulties now and then, a flesh here, a flesh there, once began to experience the nature of true Dharma. That means one is progressing. Even though there's a difficulty, one is seeing the nature of Dharma or experiences. That means it's a second type, which is that person doesn't have 
parami or accumulated habits of many lives related to samatha meditation, but have done vipassana meditation in many past lives. That falls into the second type. So how to overcome this dukkha virana or pain and suffering? It's quite useful for this type of yogi. Quite useful. Because if he or she cannot or do not okay, made up the mind to overcome that Dukkha Vedana, pain and suffering. What happened is, even though he or she might have parami to experience Dharma, one would not, because one is not giving effort. One is not using patience and perseverance to overcome this pain and suffering in the meditation practice. So for this second type, this overcoming or overwhelming the pain and suffering while you're experiencing in the meditation practice even more so important. And last time I talked that how dosa anger, hatred, aversion dwells in the dukkha vedana pain and whenever there is a pain and suffering there is anger and aversion and it, it arises hand in hand so simply it is not just overcoming these pains and difficulty it is also you are dealing with the peeling off pulling out the nature of dosa, okay? dosa, anger and aversion. That is one aspect of it. We dealt with quite detail last week. So one is, you can simply say overcoming pain and suffering, dukkha vedana, unpleasant feeling and sensation. Or you can also say at the same time you are getting rid of, peeling off the anger and aversion from your mental state. But there is another way to look at it. It is important to look from all different angles. When you know from all different angles, inspiration to practice this become stronger and bigger. You have aversion. You have anger towards this pain and suffering. Why do you have anger and pain? Anger and aversion towards the pain? Of course, simply say, because I don't like it, I don't want it. On a surface, that's true. Pain, nobody likes it, nobody wants it. That's why 
We want to get rid of it or we want to overcome it. Okay, let's say you get rid of it. Okay. You pushed away. When you get rid of it, when you push away, what do you really want? Do you really want to push it away? In reality, what you really are yearning for or longing for is comfort and pleasantness. It is not simply you want to get rid of this pain and difficulty and suffering. The underlying cause is you want to replace it with pleasantness and comfort. That's what you really want. Even though you are not thinking that way, even though you are not saying that way, that is the root cause of it. You want comfort. You want pleasantness instead of this pain and discomfort. That is the root. So wanting comfort, wanting pleasantness, what is that word? And one would in Dharma, okay, having that desire, it is tana, craving, tana. So having aversion towards the pain and suffering is exactly not only that you are living with dosa, anger, you are also living with craving tana. These are the things that is happening, whether you know or you don't know, it is happening. You want to get rid of it and you want to replace it with pleasantness and comfort. There's a dosa, anger. Why do you have this anger? Because you have a craving for pleasantness and comfort. Craving. Tatna. Craving Tatna. What is that? Pain, suffering, dukkha. What is that? Dukkha, pain, suffering is the, the first noble truth. Okay. The noble truth of noble truth of suffering. Whenever we are experiencing pain and difficulty, in a way, you are having the first-hand experience of the noble truth of suffering, the first noble truth. And then, second one, what is the cause of this dukkha suffering, the first noble truth? is the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is the na craving. So, in other words, firsthand you are experiencing the first noble truth and the underlying cause is the na, the craving, second noble truth. Right at that moment when you are observing it, you are experiencing it, and also you are dealing with the na, the second noble truth, craving.
without eliminating, without extinguishing, without uprooting this dana craving, you would be never be able to overcome dukkha suffering, the first noble truth. You must abandon, extinguish this craving. So while you are observing, okay, first of all, you are just simply observing the pain. You observe the pain, your job is to overcome the pain. Okay. At that moment, you are experiencing the first noble truth, experiential understanding of the first noble truth, not conceptual. And at the same time, to overcome it, to get rid of it, you must also abandon or extinguish the na craving. So whenever okay, you are observing this pain, What happens is, you are observing the first noble truth, and when you can observe it, when you can overcome it, that means you are also abandoning the craving, the na. So this overcoming pain is just simple statement. If you look at it deeply, overcoming this okay, pain is also you are getting rid of your anger and also you are peeling off your craving. See the effects, what the effects are. We just simply say, observe, observe to overcome the pain, to overcome the pain. Simply that's what you are doing, the job, the instruction. But the effects are, you are dealing with anger, dosa, you are dealing with tana, craving. It is very deep. When you see from these different angles, these little mindfulness, this little observation, so superficial, so easy you think, but it is an enormous range of reach into your psyche, in invading into the realm of kilesa. You must understand that way. When you understand that way, you come to understand how precious, how important, how significant that one moment that you are observing intensely and closely on the pain. Now you understand the effect, the result that comes along with it. So, in here, you get rid of the dosa, to get rid of the na, just simply by being that one little observation of mindfulness. Of course, we are supposed to be doing consistently, continuously, with no gap, no break and eventually to make it a lifestyle. A lifestyle. If not, they won't go away forever. If you can put it as a lifestyle, 
then first and foremost you keep them far away and eventually you totally eliminate them and extinguish them. They are gone. Only them you can be liberated. So getting rid of at the same time. So in here, this yogi who has easily can experience dhamma but difficulty in practice with pain and difficulty is most so important. Because once you go through that, once you understand that way, that yogi will really push. Without understanding, just do it because the teacher said do it, the Buddha said do it, you just simply do it. Yeah, more like a half-blind person, listening and pushing, listening and pushing. But when you understand it, you have more power and more energy to push it. You become more eager to push that observation. That's why Buddhism always go hand in hand with theory, theoretical, conceptual understanding, and practical execution. It's very, very important. It gives you more power. So in here, we are pushing it, we understand it, we get rid of dukkha, and we are also trying to get rid of the na. Okay. And we have already discussed in detail how to do it. And while we are doing it, let's see another aspect. This is giving you the another effect. Another effect is, as we have said last talk, we practice, we practice, and you come to the point of you have a very strong concentration, your observation is very good, and what happened? You are able to observe this every moment, moment to moment, rising, falling, rising, sitting, falling, touching, rising, sitting, falling, touching, hot, cold, hot, soft, pain, and so on. Continuously, when you can observe that continuously, what happened was, at first, it's not very clear, it's like happening, all this, 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 this. And when your concentration becomes stronger and stronger, when you observe the rising, the beginning of the rising, it's become quite clear. And then also, the end of the and rising become quite clear. And also falling, the beginning become quite clear, the ending become quite clear. Clarity start to set in. Before you observe and you know the rising. Okay? We even give instruction. Know the beginning, know the end. Know the beginning, know the end. Incline your mind to the cessation of the phenomenon of any phenomenon. You're simply just doing it. You do it conceptually, you understand it. So because of the conceptual understanding, you think or you feel or you sense the beginning of the rising and the end of the rising, beginning of the falling and the end of the falling. 
But when your concentration becomes stronger and stronger, that feeling that you know or you see the beginning and the end, beginning the end become clearer and clearer and sharper and sharper. From the mixture of conceptual understanding of the beginning and the end, <clears throat> that conceptual understanding starting to drop and starting to fade. Of course, in your mind you think, you see, you know, but that conceptual understanding is still playing a very big part in the seeing of that beginning and the end. But when your concentration becomes stronger, that seeing of beginning and the end becomes sharper and sharper, clearer and clearer, so sharp and so clear that conceptual understanding, theoretical understanding of the beginning and the end doesn't play. Now you actually are experiencing the beginning and the end, the beginning and the end, the beginning and the end. So what is the beginning and the end? The beginning is arising, arising of anything arising of the abdomen, arising of the thought, arising of the pain, arising of a joy, arising of an anger, arising, 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 or becoming, or birth of something, whether it is physical or mental. And then, what is passing away? Okay, the end mean, sorry, the end means passing away, passing away the end, or ceased, or death, passed away, ceased, death, of that object, whether it is physical or mental, whatever rises must pass away, whatever is born, die. Whatever come to exist, it deceased. That you will see in every observation. Because your concentration is strong and you are sensing or you are feeling of that birth and death or arising and passing away. It's not control or play a major role by the conceptual understanding which you do not even aware of it, but it is. And without that conceptual understanding, experiential understanding, it becomes so clear, sometimes you feel like you are actually seeing with your own eye, not just sensing, not just feeling, you actually are seeing. Of course your eyes are closed, but you can actually perceive like as if you're seeing with your own eye the birth and the death. That kind of a thing. So this passing away, arising, whatever arises passed away, whatever arises passed away, whatever arises passed away. What is that? Passing away, passing away, die, die, die. Death, death, death.
ecstasized. In one word, it is the nature of impermanence. Nature of impermanence, anicca. That's what you are seeing. Now we are using words to understand. Impermanence, states of constant change, state of flux. Passing away is the point that is making you understand, making you to experience the true nature of impermanence, of any and every element, the true nature of consistent impermanence of every physical object and every mental object of your body and of your mind. That's what you are experiencing. Anicca, impermanence. Anicca, impermanence. Or constant state of change. You observe, you observe, and your concentration becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. When your concentration becomes stronger and stronger and stronger, your experience also start to change again. You understand. Now you found that you understand even clearer arising and passing away. And then when your concentration becomes even stronger, you do not even see the arising anymore. Everything you see you come in contact, instantly passed away, instantly passed away, instantly passed away. Constant state of passing away. That becoming or arising or birth is becoming totally indistinct or negligible. Everything, whatever, whenever you touch with your attention is in the state of passing away. That's what happened. And when you reach to that stage, how do you reach it? By your concentration become deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger. That is the key point. The stronger, the deeper the concentration is, the deeper you get into the insight. Constant state of death. Constant state of cessation. That's all that you see. So we talk about before we understand anicca conceptually. And then we understand anicca with the arising and passing away quite clearly and sharply. Yeah, we understand. But even that clearly and sharply seeing the arising and passing away is your understanding is still average. Your understanding of anicca become a hundred percent when you got to the stage of when you see anything instantly passed away, instantly passed away. At that moment, you can say you have understood impermanence anicca truly as it is. 
Only then you will understand that anicca. So, the yogis, the second type of yogis, using pain as the main object. Using pain as the main object. So, he or she is observing this pain, whatever pain. We won't go into detail, we have discussed quite detail before. And you look at the pain, as soon as you look at the pain, the pain passed away. The pain passed away, and everywhere the pain pops in your body, attention is there, the moment's there, the pain is already gone. As if, like I let's say it's a shadow. I quite often use the word, okay, just to, as an analogy, you're driving on a highway with the forest beside, you're driving about 120 kilometers an hour. And when you're driving that, all the trees are there, you see the trees. But the moment you think you see it, it's gone. The moment you think you see it, the tree is gone. It's just like a shade. It's just like a shadow. You are seeing it because you have to see it to finish seeing it. You know there's a beginning, you know there's an end. But while you're driving about 120 kilometers an hour on a highway, all that you see is just zip, 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 just shadows. Just shadows, just like shades, past, passing away, passing away, passing away. That is how one sees any object and every object when yogi is, okay, in terms of a name, they call it a bhinganyana, insight into the state of dissolution. Translated, insight into the state of dissolution, bhinganyana. When you got there, that is how you see the object. And now, that yogi, second type of yogi is using the pain as the principal object. Pains, he has very great difficulty. But when he got to that state, Benganyana, the moment you observe pain, it's gone. The moment you say it's gone, the moment you observe the pain, wherever it is gone, if the pain is gone, what is it? You have overwhelmed the pain. That's it. It is not that the pain doesn't exist or the pain stops existing. As long as you have the body, pain will be there. That is nature. That is a natural phenomenon. This body, physical body, coexists with pain. Coexists with discomfort. It is there, but your understanding is at a level, okay, in a insight into the state of dissolution. Whenever you see is the pain's gone, the pain's gone, the pain's gone. When the pain is gone, you have no more pain. You have overcome the pain. Okay, for that moment, of course, you are not fully graduated yet. So when you have overcome the pain, in other words, what do you mean? What does it mean? You have overcome dosa that associated with the pain and also you have overcome tana craving 
wanting to replace the pain with the comfortable feeling, that craving also gone. You have killed Anna. You have pulled out the thorn of this dosa anger when you reach it. But of course, this is a, from many angles I try to explain. But simple instruction is, you must observe. Okay, I try to sound like my teacher, big deep voice. You must observe the, to overcome the pain. That's it. That is the instruction, how to do it. And when you do it, these are the things what happen. First, doors have overwhelmed. Second, tanna is just peeled off, gone at that moment. No more tanna. And also, you understand that experientially what anicca means impermanence me. Before we understand too, oh you born, you die, everything come and they gone, the, the universe will be blown up and so on and so forth. Theoretically we understand, but now your understanding of anicca impermanent is experiential. That's the understanding we need. And also as these things are passing away so fast, okay, everything, not just the pain, whatever that yogi is observing, rising or falling or hot or cold or thought. Even the thoughts are like a flickering moment, just like drop like shades and shadows. Thoughts come boom, another thoughts come boom, like as if never ever exists. And these rapid succession of cessation or disappearings are so great, you begin to feel like really uncomfortable. This uncomfortable is not from the pain. This uncomfortable is not from any, condi- any other condition. This feeling of not being comfortable, this feeling of being feeling unpleasant is due to the understanding that things are disappearing in a fleeting moment, fleeting moment, fleeting. that understanding oppress you so much, you begin to feel uncomfortable. Wow. This is what really is. All the material phenomena are like this. All the mental phenomena are like this. And you really feel it. Okay. Some sort of a mental pain knowing the true nature of mind and body. And that mental pain, that particular mental pain arising out of understanding of the succession of disappearance, that is called you understand the dukkha. And dukkha, in a sense of what the Buddha said, okay, the noble truth of suffering, the noble suit of the dukkha shisa. Of course, dukkha. Everybody understand. Everybody in the world know what pain is, what a heartbreak is, 
what a loss of property is, the obvious pain, obvious distress. These are, you don't need anybody to tell you these are dukkha. These are suffering. We all understand. But we try to live with it, cope with it, struggle with it. But when Buddha said, okay, the first noble truth, dukkha sissa, life is suffering, the Buddha means that constant, quick succession of passing away of all material phenomena and all mental phenomena. That's what he's referring to. That in-depth understanding, that way of understanding can only be reached with your meditation, with your great effort to observe being mindful every moment constantly without a break and a gap. And through it, you get into very deep concentration and suddenly you have the ability to see the true nature of the mind and matter. Their state of flux and how that state of flux is painful. And then, thirdly, there's nothing you can do to change that phenomenon. Nothing you can do, nothing you can exercise, or no powerful in the universe can change that phenomenon. That phenomenon simply exists. And that is called anatta, non-self, non-self. Because what you consider self, what you consider soul, what you consider supreme being, are also subjected to that constant state of disappearance in a quick succession. So, you understand anicca, dukkha, and anatta. So we simply say, observe the pain, overwhelm the pain. When you observe the pain and when you overwhelm the pain, what is happening? You are getting rid of dukkha. Oh, you are getting off dosa that associated with the pain. That is number one. And also you are peeling off the na craving. Always the constant desire to be comfortable and be pleasant. That craving you are peeling off. And at the same time, you are understanding the nature of anicca impermanence. You are understanding the nature of dukkha, suffering what Buddha meant as a first noble truth. And you are also understanding there is nothing can be controlled, nothing is eternal, nothing is permanent. Nature of non-self or no soul. Because so is considered as eternal and permanent. But when you meditate and when you reach to the stage, you will be observing what you call it a soul. And at that moment you found out it is always just disappearing, 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 and nothing you can do about it. And at that moment you truly understand 
the concept of anatta. Till then, you might think, you might analyze, I understood, but you don't truly understood. That's why experiential understanding, experiential understanding, that word is stressed heavily in Buddhism. Theoretical understanding and experiential understanding is entirely different. So here, this second type of yogi who has difficulty in meditation with pain, but can see the Dharma quite easily. In other words, he has a parami, great parami accumulated in Vipassana, but nothing in Samatha. If he understand this concept clearly, it will be more inspired to do, knows what to do, and they will have more patience and more perseverance towards the pain and can attain the higher level of understanding and ariyashap. That is the second type. The third type of yogi, the third type of yogi is that yogi never meditate, but sit down and meditate. He can just sit down right away. Okay? Never meditate, but he can sit there like a statue for about one hour, two hours. It ease, okay? very easily and wow. But that yogi practice and practice and practice months, years, but do not come into fruition, into the understanding of Dharma. That's the third type. Okay? That is the result of lots of many lives experience in practicing Samatha meditation. But that person have never practiced Vipassana meditation in the previous life. That's the third type. So what happened is, because of his parami in this matha meditation, that person sit down and can get into meditation quite easily, can get into the deep concentration quite easily, can get into absorption, jhana, quite easily. Okay, for no reason. But goes into deep meditation, deep absorption, jhana, but no understanding of the Dharma. That's where it is. Because of that, what happened was, when he is practicing, when you talk to the point of absorption and jhana, that person has a great calm, great peace, great tranquility, serenity, in other words, put in a very layman term, if he fantastically good, that person can sit for hours and he or she will sit again and again and again. Because other things that the person can do, go out, parties, drink, smoke, whatever the our world has accepted average norm have accepted the pleasure. Those pleasures are nothing 
compared to the ecstasy or the the feeling serene and peaceful in the state of absorption. That absorption is so good, he wouldn't care for others, he would sit there and meditate again and again and go into that state. And that person become hook, so to speak. Or in other words, that person has tanna, craving to all these pleasant feelings that is produced by jhana or absorption or deep concentration. You absorb into it. So he got hooked into the pleasant sensation and feeling. I won't go into details how they are, what they are. Occasionally I have already talked it <coughs> quite a bit about it. So as he got hooked into it or as he have a craving for it, the yogi simply stopped there. It's very serene, very tranquil, very calm, very peaceful. He lives with it. Why does he live with it? Because he craves for it. As he craves for it, he grabs it, he becomes one with it, and he doesn't get out of it. And that state, okay, in a meditation practice, in a vipassana meditation practice, the yogi has stopped within. Stop within. So within is, this is the experience you have from your mental states. And you enjoy that, and you dwell, and you live it. It means it stops within, which means it doesn't grow, it doesn't progress into the understanding of mind and matter. Stop within. And that yogi will never, ever experience dharma anymore as long as he craved for it. And that's why there are quite a bit of number of yogis, they came to Vipassana meditation, they got there, they got into that state. After a while, they even pack and leave. They don't even bother to carry on because they can stay with that state. And then for the rest of their life, they will be practicing and they stay there. And some, without proper teacher and things like that, they even think, that state they are enlightened, that kind of feeling. And some people actually think they are enlightened because it's serene, tranquil, calm, peaceful. Also in that state, there is no dosa, anger, aversion, irritation, no irritation, nothing. How can there be irritation or discomfort? If your whole body is feeling very light and floating and comfort and warm in a cocoon-like state. So there's no dosa and loba. They think they have, they are not attached to anything. But one thing is they are not aware they are attached to that state. That is so subtle, it plays tricks on your mind. They are attached to it, but the rest of the thing, they don't really have any desire for it. No desire for house, no desire for money, no desire for spouses, sex, children, nothing. 
They have no desire. That is what they are contemplating. I have no desire on that. No desire on that. No desire on that. No desire on that. Oh, I have no law bar. But they did not see that little craving into the state of that tranquility and serenity. That one is so subtle they cannot and they do not understand. That is the third type of yogi. Until and unless they drop it, they won't. And the fourth type of yogi is, one, as soon as you go into meditation, they can get into it with ease and comfort. No problem. And then they also see the true nature of Dharma very quickly, successively. That is the fourth type. Of course, everybody wants to be in the fourth type. But it is not given to you. It is the the practice, the effort that you have put for many lives, that is what gives you that state. Nobody is giving you. Nobody can grant you. Nobody can wish you to have it. Your own effort. You have that. So this fourth type of yogi comes and sit down and meditate. Of course, in this life, everything is more like everything is anewed for him. It is learning a new thing. He got into this great ease, peace, tranquility, and all these pleasantness, okay, lahuta, very lightness of the body, like as if you're floating or elevating, and then fitness of the body. These are, everybody has it, efficiency of the body, okay, stamina of the body, as well as all these things in the mind. All these things, and you see them. And these are the ones that definitely it's no if or but. They will be in that state. But there are many other things based on individuals' inclination and pursuit and their mind. They will experience some extraordinary things, those kind of things you will experience. But leave it aside. When that yogi is experiencing that, that yogi can also just simply stop there. Okay. As long as the mind has a craving for this pleasant sensation, sukha vedana, you will not experience the dharma. Why? It is the na, the craving for these things. And what is the na? Tana is the cause of dukkha. Tana is the second noble truth. Dukkha is the first noble truth. So as long as you have tana, you will never overcome dukkha, the first noble truth. So in here, one must be aware. And if you are practicing in this Satipatthana Vipassana meditation style, there's always a, a teacher along with it. The teacher will point you out. As soon as you got there, you have to start. Instead of dwelling in this tranquility and peace and serenity and all these goodies of the nine yards, as soon as they arise, you observe it. As soon as they arise, you observe it pleasant, pleasant, joyful, joyful. Okay. 
feeling fantastic, feeling the feeling light, feeling light. You have to observe, observe, observe in a mindful meditation, satipatthana meditation technique. You observe and you observe and you observe. And how much do you observe? Okay, in one line, this is what Buddha said. You must observe these pleasant sensations and pleasant feeling till you began to see them as suffering. In one line, that is what Buddha said. A yogi or bhikkhu must observe these unpleasant sensations and feeling till you reach to the point of you begin to see them as dukkha, suffering. You must observe to that level. Which means, how do you do? The same thing. What do you do with pain? You observe and you observe and you observe. You see them passing away. You see them passing away slowly and slowly. And finally, it becomes very rapidly. And finally, to the point of you can't even observe or count or follow. And in here too, you observe this pleasant sensation and then slowly that disappear. You observed, stay for some time, but you observe, you observe, it disappear, it disappear. And slowly and slowly that disappearance of the pleasant sensation become more and more frequent, faster and faster, faster and faster. Let's say as an example, you observe pleasant feeling about one minute and then about one second it disappears and then appears again one minute and then about one second it disappears at the beginning. Just uh, showing with numbers and eventually what happened? One second there's a pleasant feeling, you observe it, the next second is it's gone. The same thing, second by second alternate, every second alternate. Pleasant feeling, gone. Pleasant feeling, gone. Pleasant feeling, gone. That's the first thing. In other words, you begin to see that cessation, that passing away, that death is in every mental state. That's what it is. So you begin to see many gaps within that great pleasant feeling or bliss. You can call it bliss, you can call it pleasant feeling, you can feel it tranquility, you can call it serenity, call what you will. Anything that makes you feel good. P.T. Sukha. And then you see this passing away more and more and more and they become more frequent, more frequent and eventually these things Pleasant feeling arises, pass away, to the state of that binga jnana, okay, the state of dissolution. You are still experiencing this pleasant feeling, but as soon as you aware of it, it's gone. As soon as you become aware of it, it is gone. Gone, 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 gone. And all that you see is all these pleasant feeling and bliss and tranquility and serenity these are in a constant state of death, constant state of cessation. At that moment, 
at that level, a yogi has seen the bliss and the pleasant feeling, sukha as dukkha. At that moment, yogi truly understand all these sukha are nothing but dukkha because they are they do not escape the realm or the law of the impermanence. But theoretical understanding will not give you that state of change in your mind. But experiential understanding will give you that the true feeling. The true feeling means that feeling, that understanding, and you become one. You are that feeling, you are that understanding. That understanding and that feeling is you. And that is the final result of experiential understanding. It is not thinking and understanding. It is every cell in your body understood it. That kind of understanding. And when that passing away is so fast, okay, before rising, passing away, rising, passing away, and then later, passing away, passing away, passing away, and then passing, 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 and eventually passing away so much, you cannot even say passing, 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 passing. Okay? At that moment, how do you note? At that moment, you just simply note, knowing, knowing. You simply know. You cannot even label and you cannot even count anymore. They are very fast. When you got to the point of this very supremely rapid cessation, simply knowing, just know. Just know. And when you have abandoned that sukha vedana, okay, what happened? You have Abandon the na craving. So the first line of saying is, in dukkha vedana, in the painful sensation and feeling, dosa dwells. Dosa is always there with a painful feeling. And also with the sukha vedana, in other words, pleasant feeling, sensation, and bliss, they always dwell the na craving. Whenever there's dana, whenever there's a pleasant feeling, there is dana. It's there. And your job is to overwhelm the dukkha with dana and overwhelm the sukha with dana. By overwhelming the dukkha with dana, you have ripped off this aversion and anger completely. Indirectly, you also are taking out the dhana. And in sukha vedana, when you overwhelm the sukha vedana, you have already ripped off the dhana. And when you can rip off this dhana, what happens? When there is no dhana, what is the cause, the effect of dhana? The effect of dhana is dukkha. When there is no dana, when there is no craving, there is no dukkha, there is no suffering. You attack the cause of suffering, dana. Both are 
gearing towards the taking the na out, craving. And along the process, in the process, what is happening? You understand the true nature of mind and matter. What is that? Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Impermanence, suffering, and non-self, no soul. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Impermanence, suffering, non-self, no soul. That is samadhi. When you understand non-self, no soul, you have the right point of view, right understanding about the nature of mind and matter. So, may all of you be able to practice Satipatthana Vipassana meditation and be able to practice to the point of overwhelming the dukkha vedana, pains and unpleasantness, and overwhelm the sukha vedana, pleasantness and bliss as soon as possible and free from suffering, the first noble truth as soon as possible. Sadhu, 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 buddham pujemi, dhammam pujemi, sangham pujemi. Thank you very much.